Hey everybody, my name is Matt Kuman. I'm the group's pastor here at the Foundry. And just like what you just saw in this video, we are going to be asking some questions over this next series. Um, I can't believe we are into June already. We are into the summer. Um, it feels like April and May just never happened. Uh, but we're into June and that means we are moving into our summer series. Um, and I cannot wait for the questions that we're going to be able to go through together. Um, but so far throughout this year, we've looked at the book of Proverbs, and we've tied in these wisdom books, and we've talked about what it means to have a relationship with God, and we just wrapped up the series on relationship to others. Uh, but what we realize is in that intersection, um, with those intersections that we have with the people around us, sometimes we don't necessarily know what to say. What are the right things if they ask questions, if they say things? What what response should we have for some of those big questions? What, what do those look like in our lives? Um, and maybe you've asked some of these things. Maybe you've said some of these, th these things in your own life and don't know really what to do with it. And I hope that this series um, is something that you get excited for. I'm super excited for it because we'll, we'll be looking to the Bible for the answers. Um, what we realize is that questions are not a bad thing. And I hope you know um, going here and watching here that questions are always good. But what you do with those questions matters. Don't allow them to just stay questions. Um, look to the Word of God, and I'm hoping throughout this series you get an idea of where to look, how to find answers, um, and how to wrestle with some of these big things that may be in your own head or you're hearing in the heads of the people around you. But um, understand that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to question even what you hear on the stage. Uh, for me, it's okay to question um, the people you hear in podcasts and great leaders. Um, um, but letting it remain just a question isn't okay. So we're going to be diving into what it means to actually look at answering some of those questions and giving you specifically some scriptures to answer those in your own way. So um, I cannot wait for it, but I want to give you a little bit of a teaser for some of the questions that we're going to be going over over this summer and diving into together. Um, this first one that we're going to be looking at this week is this idea of was Jesus fully God or man? Which one was it? Maybe you have asked yourself those things. Um, what can Jesus actually offer me that I don't have? Maybe you've had that conversation with a friend or a neighbor. You've had that intersection and you don't know how to respond to that. I, well, if you have everything, then why do, I, why do they need to add something? That, that may be a question. Uh, what if Jesus sends me somewhere? How terrifying is that, right? If I say yes to Jesus, is he going to send me somewhere? What does that look like in our lives? Uh, who needs to hear about Jesus? Um, sometimes it feels like uh, we hear Jesus and Bibles are readily available everywhere. Who actually needs to hear about the Son of God? Uh, what if I don't deserve it? Maybe that's been a question you've heard or that you've asked yourself. Why hasn't he answered my prayers? Or maybe you've heard the statement, this is just the way I am. Maybe you've said that statement. Uh, what if what they are saying about me is true? What if those nasty things they say are actually real in my life and that's who I am? How will this affect my 401k? 
Maybe it's a statement, this is not what I had planned. Or, I can't believe he picked them. Or maybe it's the, I would do anything but that. Don't have me do that. Don't send me to do those things. And we'll end with, what is in it for me? What's in it for me? See, I know for me, um, these questions have, there have been moments in my life where I've asked these questions, um, that I've had people come up to me with these questions, and I don't know how to answer them. Uh, because there are questions that you don't want to get wrong. Like even looking at, at the question of, it, was Jesus fully God or was he fully man? I, I mean, in our minds, mathematically, 100% plus 100% can't equal 100%, right? How do you, how do you explain things like that? Um, and I hope through this series, we're able to give you some language around what that means so that when you have intersections with the relationships around you, remember with your parents, your neighbors, your friends, your spouse, your children, when you have those intersections, you can point them to Christ. Um, And that is the goal of this series. Um, So I want to start out today um, with realizing that there are questions that our mind can't fully comprehend sometimes, right? There, there's questions and concepts that my mind especially um, it appears to be too small to even think about what's going on out there. Uh, I remember a moment where uh, it feels like it was the first time that my mind was just blown to something bigger than just me. Um, I was able to, I, I listened to or I watched something about space um, and it was just wild to me. Um, and I think it was Louis Giglio who may, uh, who may have actually talked about this. But I want to take you on a similar uh, trip that he kind of shared. Uh, let's take a road trip. We're going to jump into my 1998 Saturn SL2. It was the first car that I drove when I turned 16. And it is this ugly shade of red. Um, when, I, when I got it, it was gray. Um, but there were no good gray pictures. I don't think anyone actually liked these cars. So no one actually ever photographed them. But I had this gray 1998 Saturn SL2. So we're going to all pile in there, um, and whoever sits in the front seat with me, I'm going to need them to hold the five quarts of oil, um, because she drinks as much oil as she does gas. So we'll get there, it may just take some time. Now we have got to head to uh, the Kennedy Space Center. Uh, That is in Florida, so we're going to leave. If you're with us at the Foundry, we're going to head from Zealand. If you're uh, watching somewhere else, we're going to head wherever you are. But from this point here, it is 1,250 miles to get there. Um, And in this 1998 Saturn SL2, it is going to take a little bit. um, Because if you go anything above 65, it really starts to shake. Um, And it gets a bit dangerous at that point. So we're going to just take it nice and easy. um, And it'll take probably about 22, 24 hours to get there going the speed we go. So we make it safely, surprisingly, in this Saturn SL2 to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And we are looking for something that will get us um, the quickest thing out there. We want to get up to space as fast as we possibly can and travel as quick as we can. So there's this uh, spaceship, space shuttle, whatever they're referred to, um, at the Kennedy Space Center. And their fastest one there um, travels at approximately uh, 17,600 miles per hour. 
Okay, picture that. 17,600 miles per hour. We just left a Saturn that went 65 miles per hour, and we moved into something a bit nicer that went 17,600 miles per hour. Now, um, this, this seems super fast, right? This should get us anywhere we want to go as fast as we need it. Uh, but in the terms we're going to be using in the measurements, that's actually not quick enough for where we're trying to get. Uh, we're actually going to need to be in something that travels in terms of light years. Uh, so let's make believe there is a spaceship that travels um, in light years, that uh, one light year per, one light year, not per hour, one light year, travels at the speed of light. Okay, so the, the distance that light travels, this is nuts to me. Um, the speed of light is 186,000. Thousand, okay, 186,000 miles per second. Every second, 186,000 miles. Um, that means every year, um, the speed of light travels 5.88 million miles every single year. It's, that alone, my mind can't comprehend the amount of distance you cover that quickly. Right, The speed of light, that is just shocking. Now, we live in a solar system. Right, with uh, Earth, we've got the sun, our moon is in that solar system, Mars is in there. Um, you've got all the way to Pluto. Is Pluto in? It's been disqualified and came back. It came. <laughs> Welcome again, Pluto. So we have our solar system. And in our solar system, we want to just like jet past that and get to something bigger than that. And outside of our solar system, actually part of our solar system is in something way bigger called the Milky Way galaxy. Um, and the Milky Way, um, it consists of billions and billions of stars. Um, there is a picture of it. You can see that they've tried to piece together little bits of it, and they, they kind of came up with an image that they think it looks like. Uh, we have nothing that has been able to get out far enough to actually take a picture, but this is what they think it looks like. Now, this Milky Way, um, it is, has this hundreds of billions of stars in it, and the, the length across, if you were to start at one end and go to the other, it would take you 100,000 light years to get across 100,000 light years to get across. Remember, the speed of light every second travels 186,000 miles. The, I don't know if your mind can comprehend that, but my mind can't even get to that point of trying to think of what that actually means. And how it makes you feel quite small when you think about what, what is all around us. Like, what does this even look like and how... Great is our God to do something of this magnitude. You see, to say it a different way, um, our scientists, uh, scientists around here say that um, if you do a size comparison with our solar system, our solar system is the size of a quarter. I don't know if you can see that. This is a 2,000 quarter. Um, and this, our solar system is the size of this quarter. If we were to um, compare the Milky Way to the North American continent, Okay, the, the, that huge landmass, our solar system would be a tiny quarter on North America. I mean, even that, like just how do you fully comprehend something like that? How do you put into words that much magnitude, that much mass all in one area? What does that even look like? 
um, I think for me, um, I land myself in just complete awe. And I actually try not to think about what, what that all looks like because my brain hurts fairly quickly if I do that too much. But I, I am in complete awe of what, what our world is and what is outside of our world and how, how big God is. Um, I think there's many people who land in that same boat that are, land in the complete aweness of what is around us when we don't fully comprehend things. Um, but there's also people who doubt, right? That if I can't see it, uh, if I can't explain it, if someone can't explain it to me, then I don't know if that's actually real. Um, there's two very different reactions to things like that. Um, and that can be of things like our solar system and how big the Milky Way galaxy is. But it also ties really closely in when we think about God um, and how big he is and the things he's given to us and the things that are in Jesus and who Jesus is. Um, there's two responses, the, the complete awe or the doubt. Um, and those two responses is a response that uh, soon-to-be mother-faced. Um, I want to introduce you to a character in the Bible, um, in the New Testament, uh, Mary. Um, and I'm going to read the story, and then we'll talk a little bit more about Mary. Uh, let me introduce you to her. Mary, out of Luke 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, um, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, uh, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled, which doesn't surprise me. I'd be a bit shocked if an angel came in too, right? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asks this question, how will this be? How will this be, she asks, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be never able to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And Mary replied, I am the Lord's servant, she said. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Uh, do you notice that the one that God chose to be the mother of the Son of God um, even asks a question? So I hope that you understand through this. That, that is okay. Ask, ask these questions, but figure out these answers. And Mary asks this question, how is this going to happen? How is this going to be? And she's the first one to ask that. And for 2,000 years following that, that is a question that has been debated by tons of people. Is Jesus God or is he man? Or which, 
Which one is it? Can he be both? This has been a debate that's been in the lives of men or in the minds of men for quite some time. So, who asked this question? Mary asked it right away in the beginning, um, and the angel comforter in what that response was. But maybe you've asked that question. Or maybe you've had uh, friends who aren't Christian or are Christians, and it can't fully comprehend what this looks like. How do you respond to answers or to questions like that? Um, it's important to know that Jesus, first of all, was born to a virgin. He was born to a woman, um, and, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit um, came on her. And so there was this part natural, being of Mary, um, but there's also this very supernatural part with the Holy Spirit. See, but when I just say those things, sometimes it's, it's still kind of hard to explain. Right? How do you just tell somebody that and for them to just naturally be good with that? Um, humanity um, has had a response to this for quite some time. There's either the, the similar response to awe or maybe it's doubt. Some have said, um, and some have had no problem saying that Jesus was God, um, that he was fully God, but they never believed that he was fully man, that he couldn't have come from Mary if he was fully God, right? Or the exact opposite, they believed he was fully man, uh, but if, if he was born of Mary, if he was born of a human, there's, there's no chance that he is the son of God. That doesn't work like that. But here's the truth is that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was 100% fully God and 100% fully man combined into one. Um, But let's look at that first part to start. Jesus is fully man. Now, I don't think there's any better way to do this than by looking through the Gospels. Um, If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the Gospels are the section probably about right in the middle where Jesus comes onto this earth. He's born and he starts doing his ministry. He calls disciples um, and he dies on the cross in these gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what we find is that these four books describe the life of Jesus and all the things he did and all the things he has to offer. So we're going to be looking through some of those um, today. And the first one, it comes to my mind when we think about Jesus being fully man, uh, comes out of Mark 4. And in Mark 4, the disciples and Jesus are in a boat. And they are in a boat, and all of a sudden, a storm starts raging around the boat. And the disciples are freaking out. They're thinking they're going to die. This is how they think they're going to end. Life is going to be no more after this. And they're looking around, trying to figure out, where, where is Jesus? And they look underneath, I'm assuming, the hole, maybe if I know my boat terms. Um, Jesus is inside the boat and he's sleeping. He's dozed off. Um, And as humorous as it is for him being able to sleep through a crazy storm that the disciples think they're going to die, it it shows the humanity of Jesus. It shows that he got tired. Tired to the point that he was sleeping through the storms. Um, You can imagine as crowds would gather around him, some of the pressures that would be on him as a human. Um, And Jesus got tired and he needed sleep. Um, Another one comes from John 11. um, And this is probably one of my favorite stories about who Jesus is. Um, Because in John 11, Jesus is doing ministry in in an area and a messenger comes up to him and says, 
Jesus, uh, the one you love, <coughs> the one you love is sick. Um, and Jesus somehow knew instantly that this was Lazarus. Um, and after a few days, Jesus goes to where Lazarus lived. Um, and as Jesus approaches, he realizes that um, as his family members come out, that Lazarus has died. Um, and Lazarus was really good friends with Jesus. They were great friends. Um, and Jesus was friends with their family. Um, and I, I fully believe that Jesus is all-knowing, that he knew what he was about to walk into, that he knew that Lazarus had passed away. But what I love, um, and it's actually the shortest verse in Scripture, it says that Jesus wept. Um, and I love the humanity of that because it makes me picture that I don't think Jesus, Jesus knew that he was actually going to raise Lazarus from the dead and it was going to be this huge sign of who he is and how he could point to God in that. But he looked to the people around him. I feel like Jesus saw Lazarus' family grieving and he wept with them. See, Jesus knew what it was like to grieve. He knew what it was like to lose things. Um, Jesus weeping just screams his humanity. There's also a story in Luke 22 um, when Jesus realizes he's close to the end of his ministry. Um, he brings his disciple up on a hill and he has them pray, pray about what is about to take place. And he goes up on the hill and he is, there's this moment where he is just pleading with God. Uh, because he knows what is about to take place, that he's going to be turned over and he's going to be beaten and he's going to be flogged and he's going to be mocked. He knows what's coming and he pleads with God and says, if it's your will, you will, will you take this cup from me? See, the humanity of that, of understanding what is going to come, the pain that comes with, uh, with and how that's, he's going to be betrayed, um, there are so many different emotions that Jesus feels as being fully man. Um, there's happiness. Um, Jesus went to, uh, there's a few stories of weddings where Jesus celebrated with the disciples um, and with his family and they laughed together. There's the happiness. Um, there's anger. When Jesus walks into the temple courts and they, he sees people selling merchants in the temple and he flips over the, flips over the tables See, he's angry. Um, we see sadness, like we just talked about with Lazarus' death, with his friend's death. Um, I think we even see sarcasm in Jesus in the Gospels, in the way he laughed with his disciples, in the way he spoke to his disciples, um, and even disappointment. Now, there's many times where he asks the disciples, are, are you going to leave me? What, what is this going to look like? Um, in the last moment, uh, after Jesus uh, was put on the cross um, and he died, when they lowered the cross down um, and Jesus down, uh, they pierced his side. Um, and out of his side poured blood and water, signifying his humanity. Jesus was fully man. Now, there are some people who will argue all of those things, that those, those things absolutely happen. But there's people who will argue that those are the only things that happened. That yes, he was a good man, but he was only a good man. Some will argue that he was just a good prophet, like the prophet Isaiah. Um, that he was just a man like Isaiah. He was a good man, um, but that's all he was. But that isn't the truth. So what we find is that Jesus 
is also fully God. And the stories we see in that, um, especially coming out of the book of John, talking about signs and miracles, um, again, in the Gospels again, uh, there's a moment where I think Jesus' sarcasm comes out in uh, this story where Jesus has gathered a large group of people, uh, 5,000 is what we read, and um, Jesus looks at the disciples and says, uh, why don't you guys go get food for everybody? <laughs> and the, you can imagine the disciples' response, really? Like, where? There's not a McDonald's just hanging out in the corner. Right? How are we supposed to feed 5,000 people in front of this? This doesn't make sense, Jesus. Why don't you do something? And what we find is that uh, Jesus sends them to go grab what they can find. Um, and the disciples, I'm sure, with their tail between their legs, bring back a few fish and a little bit of bread and say, this is what we have. Everyone can have a small crumb of this, and I hope they're nourished from that. Uh, but what we find is that Jesus blesses that food, um, and just a, an abundance of food comes forth. Uh, everyone is able to eat that day, and the disciples go out and collect the rest of the food, the, the leftover food after this miracle, and they have baskets on baskets of leftover food, all from the little bit of stuff that was given to them. Uh, Jesus, that's one of, the, one of the biggest miracles that I remember um, thinking about. But there's also one out of Luke 5 um, when uh, Jesus is healing people. And word is starting to get out about the power that Jesus held. Um, and a group of friends had a, uh, a friend who couldn't walk. He was lame. So they grabbed him um, and brought him to this house where they knew Jesus was healing people. When they get to the house, uh, they can't get in. The house is packed. Jesus is performing miracles inside of it. And they feel like there is no way to get in there. Um, so they actually climb up onto the roof and bring their friend up on the roof and start carving a hole in the roof to get him to, to fit their friend through. And you can imagine the homeowner thinking, what? Like, you are, you are sawing a hole in my roof. But they lower him down, and Jesus says to the man, take up your mat and walk. And for the first time, this man walks out of that house. Uh, but there's something even crazier about that story. When they lower the man down into the house, Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. And you can imagine the guy looking back up at him being like, but I'd really love to walk. Is that an option in this? Right? But Jesus explains, your sins are forgiven. Is it harder for me to say, um, your sins are forgiven, or to say, take up your mat and walk? And Jesus proves in that moment by saying that he is the, he is the Son of God, that this came from God, that he says, man, take up your mat and walk. And he walks out of that house. Uh, the power of Jesus coming from God is just huge in that room. Um, one of the things I love, I think it was about a year and a half ago, we uh, did a series that talked a lot about prophecy. Um, and that was the first time I had really thought about it. And I, if you're unfamiliar with prophecy, it's where there, there were scripture pieces in the Old Testament pointing to who the Messiah was going to be, who the Son of God was going to look like. Um, for, for people in school back in that day, it would be like reading and thinking about, okay, this is what you look for in the Son of God. This is who he is going to be like. Um, and I love, I love the fulfillments of it because I think it's just mind-blowing. There's a prophecy that comes out of Isaiah 
Isaiah 7 verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And what we know out of that Luke passage that we read right in the beginning, that the angel came to a virgin. He came to Mary and they called him Emmanuel. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Um, There's a second one. That um, And there's oftentimes where people, when they're thinking of prophecies and the fulfillments of them, they may say, you know, but Jesus, he, he attempted to fulfill as many as he possibly could here on earth. Uh, but the ones that stick out to me are the ones that Jesus had no control over. Um, this next one comes out of Micah 5, verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. See that fulfillment, um, if you're familiar with Matthew, we read that Jesus comes from Bethlehem. Uh, that there is a census and Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem for the census and that is where Jesus is born. See, the prophecies all pointed to who this Messiah was going to be. And there are so many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. If you have time, take a look at some of those because they're, they're super eye-opening and they're super interesting. But what I love about Jesus' life and what I love about him being fully God is actually at the end of his life Um, because what happens at the end speaks wonders. Um, Jesus dies on the cross um, and he's buried in a tomb. Um, And I'm sure for many people, uh, especially the religious leaders, thought they had won, that he would no longer be a thorn in their side, that they would no longer need to worry about them. Um, I'm sure there were people who thought, man, I thought he was different. Or I thought he could have been the one. Uh, But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Um, The resurrection of Jesus Christ points to who he is in God. A few days later, he appears to the disciples. And shortly after that, there is an ascension into heaven. Um, Those moments point to who Jesus is, that he was not just a normal man. He was not just a very good man or a great man or a good prophet. He was the Son of God. He was fully God. So there's a uh, kind of a bit of a churchy word called the hypostatic union. That means it's the fullness of God and the fullness of man brought together into one. Uh, Our minds have a hard time comprehending something like that. How we can take 100% from one thing and 100% of another and still make 100%. What what does that look like? But that is who Jesus is. Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. So knowing those things, never give yourself the excuse to say he was not fully God and fully man. Knowing those things You don't get the ability to do that. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a quote, and I think, is it it mere Christianity? Where he says, talks about, it may have been mere Christianity. Maybe just look up the quote if you'd like. Uh, But C.S. Lewis Lewis says it in such um, a way that I can't even make better with my own words. So I'm going to just read these things to you now. It says this out of C.S. Lewis. 
I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one, okay, so that is the one thing we may not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Think about the things that Jesus said. Yet you would not look up to him as a great moral teacher if you did not believe he was the son of God. He was saying things that would have been ridiculous if you don't believe those things. Why would you look to him as a great moral teacher? He continues, he would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or he's a madman or something even worse. You can shut him up for a fool and you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his, his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. Oh, I love those words from C.S. Lewis because it helps us realize that he... He can't be one or the other. He can't be just a great teacher, and he can't be just God. He is fully God and fully man. See, if you take anything from today, anything from this question of is, is Jesus fully God or fully man or which one is it, um, take these two comforts in your life. First one is this. Uh, the all-powerful God God, God of the universe knows what it's like to be in your shoes. He knows what it's like. He's walked on this earth. Uh, we talked about all of his emotions. He knows what anger is. He knows what sadness is. He knows what grief looks like. Um, he knows uh, what being deserted looks like and betrayed. He knows all of those things. If you take any comfort, understand that he has been there that you can go to him with those things. If you're hurting, go to him But because he, he's been there. If you're celebrating something, celebrate with him because he's celebrated things. And the second thing is this. Jesus did not, know, Jesus did not only live 2,000 years ago, um, he is the living hope. He is currently the living hope. He is alive and with you. See, what we know is that what Mary encountered first. The, they called him Emmanuel. We read that in Isaiah. Emmanuel, God with us, is what you have too. You have that. God um, sent his son to be with us. He sent Jesus Christ to be with us. Um, Jesus is with you. If, you. if you understand any comfort out of today, understand that he's walked your road. He's in this with you. Um, and that he's with you now, that he's not going away. He is fully God. He is fully man, and he's with you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your word. 
Um, And we thank you for the way you spoke in the Gospels and pointed how you were fully man in so many different ways and how you pointed to how Jesus was fully God in so many ways as well. Uh, We thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made, um, that you didn't answer his prayer of taking that cup from him uh, because life would be so different now without that. Um, God, we thank you for the way Jesus died on the cross for our sins um, and the comfort that we have now in our life. I ask that as we think about who he is, that we have that comfort in knowing that he walked a very similar road that we have walked. Um, It may have been 2,000 years ago, but he is very much with us now to this day. God, I ask that we remember all of those things as we go into our lives and as we have intersections with the people around us. We ask this all in your name we pray. Amen.